Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Life Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Harditz. It is absolutely a great day to be great and a great day to talk auction strategy. I know we talk a lot of redrafts, a lot of best ball, a little bit of dynasty here and there. Auction though, people, I don't want to say it's the best form of fantasy. I'm not in enough leagues to say that. I have not done enough auction drafts to say that, but the ones I have done, very fun. I know I've had a lot of you reach out and just, you know, want some auction goodness. So guess what? Here we are in who do I mean by we? I mean, one of the best auction minds in the game, people. A friend of mine, even though he takes my money far too often for my liking in poker, Drew Davenport, Football Guy Staff, Auction Brief Podcast. You can go find the auction manifesto out there this week. Subscribe on Patreon at Drew Davenport FF. Drew, what's going on, my man? Hey, you know, that was quite an intro. I, I don't try to always take your money, but you know what? Uh, recently, all I did was donate, so I can't <laughs> say it's always me. But yeah, man, I had a, a great time seeing you recently. Stoked to talk auction. Yes, man. And look, Drew, I asked you before this, uh, you know, pod started. Like, you know, are we what are we doing? Are we already done with auctions for the year? No, you still have like five more coming in the next week and a half. <laughs> so again, it's one of these formats where uh, you know, if you guys haven't gotten out there and try it, can't recommend enough doing so. Yes, they are going to take you a little bit longer. You need to actually, you know, go ahead and call up every single player for every single team. Good four hours sometimes, but just you know, Drew, in terms of just being able to go out there and get your guys. That's the fun part for me, because I mean, I remember sending a tweet a couple of weeks ago about just like, man, wish I could pick like all these guys in round seven. I only get one option from it. An auction, man. There's no excuses about draft order. You want your guy? Go pay for him. Yeah. Well, the, one of the things that like this is a kind of, um, you know, we'll talk about this later. But, you know, we always talk about uh, in regular serpentine drafts the mid tier of tight ends aren't that exciting because there's so many guys that you want to be drafting right in that area where like Dallas Goddard and David and Joku are going, you have to make that choice between do I take Goddard now or do I want this receiver that I really like at this point in the draft auction doesn't make you make that choice. You just go get them both. And so it's a much more viable strategy to do that. And it's the same thing with, uh, you know, we talk about the dead zone running backs nobody's forcing you to take one of those guys. But when you're on the clock in a serpentine draft, they're sitting right there. They've fallen past ADP. You feel obligated to do it. Auction doesn't make you do that. It's just, I. it's the best format. I know I'm biased, but that's how I feel. <laughs> what has made you love it? Is it just that, just, you know, looking at it objectively versus serpentine draft, you want to be able to get your guys? Or was there a moment in your life, too, that you just, you know, you knew auction was it for you? There was a moment, believe it or not, when you <laughs> say go. that, because... Uh, and his name is David Boston. Ooh. So I tell the story. Ohio the State's time. finest. Let's go. Yes. Yes. Well, what happened was I got into fantasy from a buddy of mine. And believe it or not, my first ever fantasy league was an auction. And I didn't know any better. He was just like, this is how we do it. I was like, okay, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, I ended up getting David Boston for like eight bucks. And he had 1,500 yards and nine yeah. touchdowns. And I was hooked i'm like this is in the following year i think i got jeff garcia through 35 touchdowns nice. and i got him for a dollar at the end of the draft so th it's those kind of things that form your love of it but i will say this look you made the point at the beginning that yes it takes a little bit longer but you know it's draft day baby don't you want it to be longer like it's supposed to be fun and if draft day is one of your favorite days who cares if it's a little bit longer but yeah you know i don't like being forced into those little pockets of players that you have to have you got the 1.03. You know you're not getting C.D. Lamb, right? You know, he's going to be at the end of the round of uh, round one or early round two. You're not getting him. I don't like being forced into those pockets. I love the freedom it gives you. 
And again, I just think it's great because we all have those league mates who are inevitably going to be making excuses about, oh, you know, I got sniped here and there. Guess what? You can't get sniped when it's on you to go ahead and increase that money up. Now, can this cause, you know, some risk between you and friends when you just keep on pushing that money up? Sure. But to your previous point, that's what makes draft day that much more entertaining. Let's go ahead and break some friendships out here in the name of fantasy football. <laughs> Why the hell not? Drew, a lot of people out here listening, you know, maybe have an auction coming up and they just haven't had, you know, the luxury of having experienced one before. So for someone going into an auction draft completely dry, have not done one before, do you have a few just basic tips for them to, again, hopefully, maybe not, you know, it's, yeah, it's going to be tough for anyone that's never done an auction to go just build a juggernaut, but maybe the entire room's like that. So a couple basic tips for people that have not done auctions before. Well, yeah, if we want to go real basic, the first thing I'd say is there is a little tightrope that you have to walk between spending too fast and not spending. So I know people always say the tip, spend all your money, but you know what does that really look like? What it looks like is if you went into a serpentine draft, you would not trade your first and second rounder for you know four fifth rounders. That's just, you, you would never do that. So don't forget that when you're in an auction, you need to get some first and second round talent, but you don't want to go too crazy because I think what ends up happening is people, they get in there and they're like, Ooh, I like Austin Eckler. Ooh, I like Jamar Chase. And so I tell people all the time, just have a reason for what you're doing because so many people I see that do these, they just kind of float through and there's no plan. So just take 15 minutes and say, where do I think I'm going to come down on um, do I want Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson? Or can I back off a little bit and just say, I'm cool with A.J. Brown or Stephon Diggs instead? So have a little bit of a plan there. Come come up with what you're doing. And look, I, I'm going to give a piece of advice that not everyone likes. But <laughs> I say that when you're a beginner, take your cap and your total roster spots and go and put on every roster spot an exact amount you want to spend hmm. on each position. Now, don't go in the room and be like, okay, uh, I'm only allowed to spend 42 and and, and Diggs is 43. I got to stop. Don't do that. Be flexible still. But that that number on your sheet that you made up ahead of time, like when the bids are flying around and everything, it's going to help you stay calm. And, and what it really does is it prevents that massive overspend at the beginning where you already have your RB1. But Austin Eckler stops at 41. You're like, man, that's a good deal. And then you say 42. And all of a sudden you've ruined your draft. So it, it prevents that overspend. It gives you like some guidelines there to keep you on track. Great info right there. Again, folks, don't, but don't fade the first and second round talent. Again, I know what you're saying because it is easy to sit there and then, you know, all these guys are flying off 40, 50 bucks. And it's like, I don't want to spend that much. But yeah, you might need to spend that much if you do want to get one of those, you know, Jamar Chasers of the world. And then also, again, very, very sharp. They're just taking that 15 minutes to, you know, again, not completely bind yourself, box yourself into an exact dollar amount for every position, but just a guideline for that. And in terms of that guideline for that, like, I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to go through every single player and talk about, you know, what their median uh, dollar amount is. But it seems like, Drew, kind of a normal auction league, you have $200 per manager. At least that was the one we were in. That seems to be the base format. So with mm -hmm. that in mind, like, is there an amount like just is $50, $60 just far too much for a position? Like, what would you say, like, you, you said you want to prevent an egregious overspend? What is an egregious overspend for folks that, again, just have no kind of a uh, backstory with auction? Yeah, so you're you're in the you're in the neighborhood there. So my philosophy in most auctions is that I'm not ever going to be spending for the top 
two or three guys at the position. Okay. Now, I, I know I went against that at King's Class. I ended up with Mahomes on my team. But I you generally just, if you wipe those couple of guys off of your draft board and just say, I'm not going to have Jefferson or Chase. I'm not going to have Hertz or Allen. You know, I'm not going to have Kelsey. It makes your build just so much easier. It's not that you can't do that. It's just that the difficulty goes up. So if you're trying to make this a little bit more user-friendly, just get a couple of those guys off the board. But I would say overspending. I, I had a draft the other night where uh, Chase went for like 58. That's about where he goes, maybe 55 to 58. When you start to get over 60 bucks, I think you're just hamstringing yourself. You're giving yourself too much of a, a hurdle to overcome to have a really deep team. Now, if, you, if you're in an, uh, a smaller league, like a 10-teamer, that's okay. It's a little bit more acceptable to spend that. But, you know, when you're pushing mid-50s to 60, that's just too much for me. I think that that makes your difficulty level too high. Very, very good stuff there. When I've been in some of these drafts, Drew, usually at the Kings Classic, sit down. It's fun. You got all the boys there. Vibes are good. Everyone wants to go ahead and draft. First couple of players nominated are usually going to be some studs. That's just the way it works when everyone's on the board. Again, I just heard you don't, you know, usually you're not spending on the top two, three guys is part of that as well. Just like in these auctions you're in, it seems like to me, the first 10, 15 minutes, people kind of go batshit crazy here a little bit. And they, it takes a while for everyone to kind of settle into the draft. It's almost like a fight. Sometimes, you know, you see this real erratic, you know, guys going at each other for the first couple minutes, and then they realize a knockout isn't going to come and everyone kind of chills and gets more into the pace of the fight. So is that just, you know, a me experience or have you noticed that people tend to be a little bit too over? zealous when the draft starts that's generally the case and i think that that's in more um inexperienced draft rooms you're certainly going to have that yeah now in your in your more veteran rooms i tell people to watch out for the first couple of picks because people are really tight controlled they've done a bunch of them so they're sitting there thinking i'm not gonna spend my money yet and you could watch out for the first two three four picks you might get a nice little deal but but generally what you say holds true and that is that people are excited. They're excited. And, and, you know, one of the things that I love about auction drafting is you can get more into the psychology of the person and how people act and the way that they draft and the way they're, you know, auction drafts really put an emphasis on your personality. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a room with somebody that you know really well, their personality is going to be amplified by the format. So if they're, you know, for instance, you were talking about poker at the beginning. If you know that person's an aggressive poker player or whatever, they're going to come into an auction draft. They're going to be aggressive. You can use that against them a little bit. And like you said, there's a feeding frenzy and there's a natural um, desire to get the biggest players out there and start bidding on them. And you can use that to your benefit. If you think that the room is overly aggressive, throw some chum in the water, just stand back and let them spend their money. Definitely, again, going hand in hand with the idea that not spending on those top two, three guys, it does seem like, especially when we get into the exact dollar amounts, like you're going to be able to find some serious, probably unwarranted value, like with just kind of the mid bottom tier players. Not that they're bad players by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, if Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are pushing $60, maybe just maybe you can get yourself a Stefan Diggs who's not, you know, closer to 50. And when you just look at that exact percentage, is that really warranted given the, you know, just overall projection difference in them? Probably not. So, Drew, in terms of, again, trying to think about the psychology of 
the players in the room. When it comes time to nominate a player, and again, just for those that have not played auctions, you know, you go around the room and order. Uh, if I'm up, I could say, you know, Bijan Robinson, $40 or whoever the hell you want to say is on the board. And you set that dollar amount. Do you have a strategy for doing that in terms of like, are you always nominating players you want or sometimes you nominate players you don't want and then just uh, try to play to the room? Or is this just something that, again, really depends more so on who you're drafting within the format? Well, I, I tell everybody that the number, the cardinal rule of nominations is mix it up okay. because you don't want to become predictable. And it's just like, again, I hate to go back to poker, but when you're sitting at a poker table, people can figure out what your tendencies are. They're going to do the same thing in an auction draft room if they're paying attention, if yeah. you're with good drafters. I see it all the time, especially in my home leagues. People, there are some people that will always nominate somebody they don't want or they'll always nominate somebody they do want. And I'm picking out those guys who nominate somebody and they always end up with that player on their team. You can bet them squeezing four to six more dollars <laughs> out of them every time. And if you think about that, that adds up over the long course. Yeah. If you got four guys in the room that do that, you're pulling four to six bucks every time they nominate somebody. I mean, do the math there. It's a big bump for you. Um, so I tell people, mix it up. But I also say that there is a flow to the draft that's going to dictate a lot of the time whether you're nominating somebody you want or don't want. And early in a draft, I tell everybody, let everyone else nominate the big names and, and get them out there. Don't worry about that. What you need to worry about is the plan you thought about ahead of time. And so in order to execute that plan, you need to start out by figuring out what are the guys that are going to really make my draft go one way or another. Like, let's say you go into a draft and, and you are a guy who wants Travis Kelsey. Nobody's going to forget about him. That's and true. you're not going to wait until the fourth round and get some sweet deal on Travis Kelsey. It ain't happening. Just get him out there. Figure out if you're going to get him or not. Because that's going to be important to your draft. And if you wait and then you don't get Kelsey because he's too expensive, you might have passed up a bunch of deals on tight ends that you might want along the way. So early on, I will really want to define my draft by my nominations. And then in the middle stages, it's going to depend on where the draft is going. If things are hot, I'm going to try to get out somebody I don't like that's going to waste money. If things are settled in, then I'm going at the guys I want in those middle tiers. But that the middle of the draft is really a flow thing that you have to figure out on the fly. When you talk about the guys you want, we all have our guys, you know, just players we have naturally ranked ahead of ADP. And the unique thing about auction is, again, the ability to just go get those guys and not have to worry as much about the certain round of the draft. But to your point about Kelsey, like there is, there are still key players, you know, across tiers and big tier breaks where if you don't get them, it is going to change the overall roster construction you're working with. So when you look at, you know, more traditional redraft roster construction strategies like elite quarterback and tight end or going with anchor RB, having, you know, five wide receivers in the first nine rounds or we could just say in this case five wide receivers the top 45 top 50 overall picks at the position like is there a you know redraft strategy that people are kind of familiar with from a roster construction uh, standpoint that you have just gone into auction and felt the best about when you can pull it off because i get it you know if if maybe your team's with travis kelsey you feel the best about but you're not going to spend 70 bucks on the guy if it comes to that in a specific draft so again as someone that's done a ton of auction drafts this year already what sort of overall roster construction have you found to be your favorite when it does go your way yeah, I think this is this is one of the easiest questions I get. I love it because Here we go. I do believe there's a way that I set up an auction that makes me feel the best. And that is um, I'm spending on, um, I'm, I'm really not spending anything on tight end. 
So I'm going to get a guy. I might get an Njoku or somebody like that if there's six bucks or below. Maybe a Friarmouth sneaks into me for four or five bucks, something like that. But generally, I'm dumping out a tight end completely. And I'm going to try to grab two. If the rosters are big enough, I'd love to grab three. But I'm just going to try to grab two guys like a Higby Everett or, um, you know, a, a Schultz and a Higby. Or I, I like just, the Higby yeah. Everett one. I like the Higby Everett one. <laughs> I knew you. I threw the Schultz out there. Just he took the bait, man. I know, you, I know you're a huge fan of Dalton Schultz. Oh, um, but, you know, the point is I'm dumping out a tight end completely, um, pretty much, uh, trying to spend five bucks on two guys. And then uh, quarterback, I'm not going to go completely cheap. Like I'm only going to spend two bucks. Although I did that the other night because I spent up a little bit at, at running back when Ramondre Stevenson went a little bit too cheap. Sure. So then I had to pull the money off of the quarterback. But I think there's a little bit of value in spending a couple bucks above a replacement value, uh, replacement level quarterback, but not spending on the top guys. So I'm talking about this year on the um, on the top end of that range is herbert i'm probably not ending up with him but this year it's been either lawrence or watson that's fallen right into maybe watson a little bit cheaper around six or seven maybe eight bucks or lawrence around 10 or 12 but then after that i'm getting uh, like you said the anchor running back i'm getting one running back i'm completely blowing off my rb2 whoever follows me i don't care who it is i'm going to spend 10 or 12 bucks and then at wide receiver i'm plowing like 90 bucks into my top three guys. I'm hoping to be around 90 or 95 of my top three guys. And then I really want to go five deep at wide receiver because you got a, um, a lot for injuries or busts. And I want those three solid guys at the top. So if I get five, I'm feeling really good about uh, getting through the buys and getting through the injuries. So to recap, sorry, I know that's a lot, but oh, no, you're good, man. Great a interview. little bit above, a little bit above replacement at quarterback to try to grab Lawrence or Watson, maybe Herbert, super cheap at tight end, anchor running back, and then plow a ton of money in uh, to five wide receivers. You know, even I've done pretty much a half of an auction this year, but as someone that's done, you know, a couple, I think we're almost around 200 best balls at this point, plenty more redrafts going on. That's pretty much what I like to see out of my team too, Drew. So again, it's yeah. good to see that there is still that, you know, even across different formats of fantasy that, you know, top tier roster construction that we do want to be shooting for. And I just think it makes a lot of sense. Again, even going back to not going after those top two or three players, because at the end of the day, if we are seeing, you know, the Mahomes and Josh Allens going for, you know, literally 30, maybe 40 bucks more than someone like a Trevor Lawrence, like a Deshaun Watson, that gap just isn't really lining up to what we're seeing in a traditional redraft serpentine where you know it's only a four or five round difference more times than not there so heavy wide receivers again Drew recommending 90 dollars potentially to top three hard in the paint five deep anchor rb fuck the rb2 we'll worry about that later value with going a little bit above you know the replacement value quarterbacks with t law and maybe deshaun watson punting tight end for the most part but i'm with you man Dwayne and i did a nffc uh high stakes league last night and like we got in the joke who around past like what we were even thinking his cutoff was going to be so every now and then you do see Najoku fry and the slide down there and just you know being akin to what your league is doing in terms of uh, every team already has a tight end more or less that's when you can maybe get some good value there so great stuff there drew now 
gotta gotta promote your you know your uh, manifesto here a little bit i'm assuming although i've not given it a look yet myself that you do have you know reasonable dollar amount kind of ranges for all the players or at least some sort of guide, guidance and strategy going into that because that does seem to be you know the hesitancy when i do talk to my friends about you know like just the idea of doing auction there's just no room to start and we've explained some of that you know over 60 dollars is too much and everything but talk about you know your auction manifesto and just some of the awesome resources you provide in there well, what I like to do is the my show all summer really is kind of like this. The um, I like to go at the theory first and just say, here's my ideas about the theory. And that's what a lot of the manifesto is, is going through. We've got nomination strategies and bidding strategies. And what I always say is you stack positive EV on top of each other. So the positive expected value of each particular move that you make in an auction draft room may not be like a 10% edge. Maybe it's a 0.8% edge. Mm -hmm. But if you learn 10 or 12 or 15 little strategies, you're stacking those little percentages on. So I talk about the theory of it at first. But then part of what we talk about is you have to get prepared ahead of time more than you've ever prepared for a regular draft. And the reason I say that is the scenario comes up in every auction draft over and over and over where you're bidding on a player and somebody right near, let, let's say you're bidding on Najee Harris. Yeah. And ah. Aaron Jones is already gone. And we know we know Ian's out if we're bidding on <laughs> Najee Harris. Um, but, uh, you know, let's say Aaron Jones is already gone for a certain price. You're bidding on Harris. And then, you know, Alexander Madison hasn't come up yet. You know, you got to have an understanding of how you feel about the guy that you're bidding on with relation to the guy that's already gone around them at ADP and the guy who's still yet to come. Yeah, And that, that relationship and how those bounce off each other, you don't have to worry about that in a sync draft, but in an auction, you've really got to know that. So, you know, is this price reasonable or not? And so what, it, when it comes back to prices for the mid tiers, I always say that it's really important to study the average auction values ahead of time, but then leave them at home. Because you don't want to go into a draft and say, well, the average auction value for Najee Harris was 23 and he came up and the bidding stopped at 22. So I bid. It's like, well, that only matters if it helps your team. Like, if gotcha. you, you know, if you're going anchor running back, you're probably not going to have Najee Harris because he's too expensive for your RB2. He's not good enough for your RB1. So you really got to, you know, have that plan ahead of time, have some of those prices in your head. And maybe if you're new, a good idea would be to go, okay, in each tier, what's the approximate price here? All right, so then in, in, in tier two at wide receiver, you know, I'm seeing C.D. Lamb is a, is a $42-ish guy. And so if you have a couple of those in your head, you'll have a framework, but I don't like you bringing that into the draft because, frankly, it doesn't matter. If it gets to the point where you don't have your wide receiver one and you need one, you may overpay. And don't and you don't want yourself to get worked up and worry about the fact that you had to overpay, right? Because who cares? What I always say, what I said in the manifesto, and I'm going to say it here, and it gets me worked up. I don't know if you can tell, it gets me worked up. But you're not drafting a team so you can share it on Twitter and be like, "Look at these great values." You're drafting a team to freaking win. Let's go win a title, man. Don't worry about the raw dollars that you're paying when you get in there. Study ahead of time. Leave that stuff at home. Twitter engagement comes and goes, but those banners hang forever, Drew. Absolutely yes. love it. And I think it goes back to one of the first points you made, like the dollar amounts, they're just there. So like you don't make a really stupid overpay on someone. Exactly. So it's kind of like setting your ceiling there, but similar to average draft position, you know, if you're just, if you feel like there's a massive tier drop off, maybe after, you know, 
a, we'll say, Pat Fryer, David Njoku. You just don't want to mess around with the late round tight ends. Well, if that does cause you to have to reach 10 spots because of a certain room, maybe not the worst thing ever with that added context. So great stuff there, Drew. And again, everyone can hear you on the auction brief where you, you know, you break down all this. And I was lucky enough to come on to your lovely podcast earlier this offseason. So appreciate you paying the favor, my man. Last thing here with uh in regards to auction, though. So again, we talked about the roster construction strategy, generally punting tight end a little bit, going, you know with the T-Law, Deshaun Watson tier, anchor RB, and then just loading up on wide receivers. But is there a handful of players, you know, maybe three that just under those kind of guidelines that you consistently find yourself coming away with this year? Yeah, one of the ones uh, for the anchor RB has been Saquon Barkley because for some reason, there's just more excitement about the guys ahead of him. And nobody's, everybody's just sort of meh. And I don't understand that because, I feel like the the Giants offense is going to take another step forward this year. Yeah. And and Barkley has RB1 overall potential. I'm not calling my shot there, but <laughs> certainly he's been cheaper than he should have been. Yeah. I mean, and you know, so I'm seeing prices in the low 40s for Saquon Barkley. If I can get him for less than $45, he's a perfect uh, anchor RB. And I'm having to pay a little bit too much on some of the other guys. So Barkley's been one of them. Um, I will say at wide receiver, Tyler Lockett is ending up as my wide receiver three in a lot of spots. And I just right think he's now. a beautiful wide receiver three because, you know, he, he, the potential that he has for maybe a $16 price tag in an auction, it's perfect. And I know, um, I know that, uh, you know, I'm going to try to build a, a ton of wide receivers in there, but I keep falling into the same guys. So I try to diversify a little bit. Um, Lockett's one of them, but you know, the Tampa Bay wide receivers, again, I could slot them in as my wide receiver four. I'm not excited about them in snake drafts because I don't want to take them where I have to take them. Right. But if I get Chris Godwin for 13 bucks and he's my wide receiver four, that's perfect. That's exactly where I want to be. Now, sometimes he's a little bit more than that because of his name. And then, you know, I'm out. So I'm finding uh, a couple of those guys. I'm, I'm blanking a little bit on, um, on uh, my RB2, uh, well, David Montgomery has been a guy that I've yeah. found reasonable. There's There are some drafts where somebody's a little too excited about him, um, but uh, but also Antonio Gibson. Ooh, when yeah. I want to save a little bit money at my RB2, um, a lot of times I'm going to put like maybe $12 as my RB2, and oftentimes I can get Gibson for six or eight or nine bucks, and that saves me a few bucks you know, to, to plow into wide receivers. So those are a few of the guys I've been ending up with. And as someone that's loved attacking that Antonio Gibson, Zach Charbonnet, Brian Robinson, AJ Dillon, Samaje Piran range, like again, yep. it the fact that in a normal draft, I got to look at that group and go, I can get one, maybe two of these guys. But in an auction draft, hell, I can take them all if I really want to, Drew. You know, it's legal out there in these streets. So uh, getting that anchor RB strategy, certainly see why, you know, you've, uh, you know, really just resonated with that the most. And yeah, I could also see how guys like Lockett, Evans, and Goblin, who, again, don't blame anyone for having them at the bottom of that tier. But I think we all can agree they are firmly in that wide receiver three tier. And if you're seeing those guys going for 15 relative to a guy ranked only a few spots ahead, but them they're you know pushing 20 30 bucks or so definitely exactly. get the value there so Lockett especially looking up with that JSN wrist injury not that he couldn't have put up some big numbers before but you know certainly uh better be better lucky than right as they say Drew fantastic stuff 
Funny thing about this is uh, we have not mentioned yet that you are a practicing criminal defense attorney for 22 years. So in the fantasy football community, we all love your auction uh, research and we all love your ability to sift through some of this legal madness because let's face it, none of us know what the hell is going on half the time with this. (laughs) So as far as it stands right now, I think there's only two really ongoing legal situations to overly worry about. But I know we've gotten some recent news on one of them. Again, you're at Drew Davenport FF on Twitter cannot recommend shooting you a follow enough for all of you out there because again some of the legal threads you put together are just so helpful so can we talk about Joe Mixon and the recent resolution he had to that menacing case and what is still going on with him right now and just overall your thoughts on if we are going to see a suspension in this 2023 season yeah so he was found not guilty at bench trial recently um, you know a lot of people have been asking me questions about that uh, this is a fantasy football show, so I don't want to get into the legal stuff too much. Sounds to me like the the judge just felt like the state didn't prove their case. She wasn't necessarily convinced it didn't happen. She just felt like the state didn't get there. So, hey, he's not guilty, but that therein lies an important distinction with the NFL because the NFL has done their own research into the case, and I'm sure they've talked to the alleged victim here. And I would guess that the NFL is still going to be a little bit concerned about the allegation that there was a use of a gun and that this is a violent charge. Now, this isn't a violent charge from the standpoint uh, of like an Alvin Kamara case where he's beating somebody up, but it's still a violent charge. So the NFL is going to want to look at it uh, vis-a-vis his history from all the way back in college. I don't believe he is in line for a lengthy suspension. I do believe, though, that a suspension is still on the table. However, I'm taking the ADP dip, especially in auction drafts, yeah. because the way I draft when I want to dump out of that RB2 spot, and sometimes, sometimes I don't go with the anchor RB if the wide receivers are too expensive. And then a guy like Joe Mixon's real valuable as my RB1, which I, I that's not what I want to do, but it's in a back, it's you know break uh, glass in case of emergency kind of plan. <laughs> um, I do think that one to two games is still possible here because the NFL might still be concerned about him. But I'm certainly less concerned than I was before, obviously, because of the not guilty finding. So I think two games would be the max here. Uh, But, you know, I really think it's possible that if he says the right things to Goodell, he's going to have zero. But I just can't see the league saying, ah, no big deal. I think he's going to get a game or two. But if if there's a resultant ADP dip, take the hit early in the season and, um, and, and, you know, roll with a high volume guy. And honestly, like, even if we did know that it's for sure going to be a game or two, yeah, maybe he moves down around, but I don't even know if it'd be warranted, Drew. I mean, with the whole Alvin Kamara thing for that to play out and only end up resulting in three, I mean, you know, there was one of those situations where I don't really think even three games should be going all that much into your process because you can find replacements for that just, again, that small early season sample size later. So I've maintained that when Mixon is in the clear, if week one comes around and we are just, you know, no suspension, he's playing he's going to be in everyone's top 12. So great stuff there. And yeah, people, he was really inefficient last year. He also had Samaj P. Ryan stealing pass down work. Guess what? He was still the RB6 in PPR points per game. Only freaking Austin Eckler, I believe. Yep, only Austin Eckler had more expected PPR points per game. Might not be the most efficient running back in the world, but you know what isn't even a great indicator of running back success these days? Yards per carry, and when you're playing in a Joe Burrow-led offense, and you do have the pass-catching skills of Joe Mixon, certainly someone that does offer RB1 value at a far reduced price. So great note there. Anything on Hassan Haskins, Drew, because this is one of these situations where 
really getting into weeds. Tajay Spears has been someone that I've been hyping up for a while now. And I remember when we actually had the original Hassan Haskins strangulation charge, like that's what got me more on the Spears than anything. Cause I just figured this was going to be a really bad situation for Haskins. And we could not even have to worry about him as a handcuff behind Derrick Henry. Now Spears has had himself a nice preseason. I think even if Haskins stays, we could still see Spears, maybe not be a complete workhorse handcuff, but have the fancy friendly pass down role anyway. But any word on this Hassan Haskins, situation and is it maybe just one of these things where when something like that gets announced i mean i think it was like a month or two ago like might just not be enough time for everything to resolve in order for a 2023 suspension yeah i'm not i don't think that 2023 is really uh in play because okay. this is one of those situations everyone's asking me uh about when they're asking me about the mixing case they're like well aren't they going to push it out like they, they did with the camara case and i said no wait a minute these are chimeras a serious felony and uh, the mixing case was uh, a misdemeanor and there's a there's a mm -hmm. um expiration date on misdemeanors in ohio especially you got to have them done okay. within six months i knew that mixon was going to handle this case before the season so um haskins is a completely different situation and here's another thing about the haskins case you got to remember this is a cross filing okay and a cross filing means that both parties were charged out of the incident and that's unusual and it sounds like there was this wild, like, couple-day period of time where she's alleging he did some stuff and he's alleging she did some stuff. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's wild. And, and okay. the facts of it are pretty crazy. And I will say this also, and, and, I, and I point this out all the time, but his, the allegation is a strangulation charge, and that makes it a felony offense. And there is very strong evidence um, I believe the number is, I think, um, a, a man who um, has a non-fatal strangulation allegation is like six or seven times more likely to um, harm that person again in the future and or, um, you know, for it to result in death. Oh. So this is an extremely serious charge. I'm not sure that we're going to see a resolution this year. They, you know, when you get a felony charge that pops up in July, this is going to go into 2024 with the seriousness of it. Now, the only caveat I would issue there is because it is a cross filing. A lot of times when I get those, I got one of them going on right now. The two parties are saying, hey, we'll agree to this reduced charge. And it's sort of like this game where the, 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 the I shouldn't say game. That's a terrible way to say it. It's I, sort of like this thing, though, where you, you get it. I mean, yeah. you got the two parties and they're kind of pushing the prosecutor, like, give us this deal. Give us this deal. Whereas ordinarily, it's just one on one. Okay. Now you got the two defendants saying, we don't really want to testify against each other. We'll take a, a reduced deal. So that is possible that it gets resolved like that. But again, we don't know the inner workings of what they're talking about. Um, and with such a serious charge, I'd say that the chances are nothing's going to happen in 23. But um, the allegations are not pretty here. Not pretty at all, but great info. Again, just on the usual, you know, rate that we'd expect from this. So not expecting a son Haskins suspension or just resolution is probably the more better way of putting it in 2023. Are there any other legal situations that you're kind of have your eye on right now? I know we had that Dalvin Cook situation where it just popped up again, but I don't even think it was something new. It was just, you know, Dolph or one of these nameless, faceless people out there, you know, bringing something up that happened a while ago. Like I asked Dwayne uh, last night when we were drafting, cause I was like, dude, I'm with the freaking great Drew Davenport tomorrow. I want to make sure we cover all this other than Mixon and Haskins. So like, is there anything else you're really all that concerned about for 2023 in particular? 
Not really, no. Jordan Addison resolved his case, um, his speeding case. What yesterday. a defense, by the way. My goodness. Hit the dog, oh, Drew. It was the dog. I know. Well, and what's wild about it is we never really heard whether there was confirmation that this is actually <laughs> a lie or whether it was truth or not. We, ne- we didn't get that. We did get, though, that they dismissed the reckless driving charge, which was the more serious charge, yeah. and he just pled to his speed. So I would guess that Jordan Addison is going to be okay. I said that from the beginning, though, if you're a Patreon subscriber. I said my concern level was extremely low based on how they handled the Marquise Brown case last year. You really have to have a series of dangerous traffic incidents for a speeding case like this to lead to a suspension. So I'd expect Jordan Addison's fine. Um, I don't expect anything to happen with the Dalvin Cook case this year. They um, They had a jury trial scheduled in August. That's been bumped again to the offseason a la last summer. So, you know, I know that some of the stuff that came out about Cook recently was was just people throwing mud at the wall about, oh, he had offered a settlement and this and that. I'm like, of course he's offered a settlement. This is a civil case. That's what you do. You sit around and you offer each other settlements and try to get the case handled before you go to end up in a lengthy and, and, and expensive trial. So I don't think that anything that has come out about Cook is concerning me either. So right now, I just say, yeah, there's you know no joy. I don't think there's any cases that I'm super concerned about at the moment. Um, as soon as I open my mouth, we're going to have something break tomorrow. But I think right now we're in the clear. The uh, the Jordan Addison situation. Look, I get it. Not not good for anyone to be speeding 140 miles per hour on a 65. But just sitting back and looking at like the reaction on one day where it's like, what are you doing going to 140? My goodness, so irresponsible to just a complete 180, Drew, and everyone being like, oh, yeah, it's your dog, man. Of course you got to drive 140. I would have drove 200 miles if it was my dog. So just a PR 101 over there. Yeah. And and, yeah. I, and saying that, you know, I do hope Jordan Addison's dog or whatever it was, uh, you know, is okay out there. Glad to hear that he'll be out there on the field playing because, my God, I don't want to get too carried away with training camp highlights, Drew, but looks like Addison uh, is a ball player out there and obviously don't even worry about training camp look at his profile great great player excited to see what he can do this Mm -hmm. year drew fantastic stuff thank you for your time man again at drew davenport ff on twitter football guys finest auction brief podcast don't forget to check out the auction draft manifesto and yeah bro let's play some poker again soon anything else you want to get off your chest don't worry the invite will be coming i just hit up rebar and said when are we playing he said it might be tough during the season, but um, no, thank you, man. I appreciate it. You, you hit all the highlights. Check out the auction brief pod. Um, I just wrapped up the manifesto, which is my hour and a half of just me running my mouth, but it's all <laughs> auction tips. And if you're going into an auction, you think to yourself, man, I haven't had a lot of time to work on this stuff. Pop in the podcast, listen to that 90 minutes. It's going to, it's going to really help you out. Fantastic stuff. Long live auctions. Don't be afraid to try something new. They're a fun time. Trust me. For Drew, I'm Ian. Thanks again for tuning in to Fantasy Life Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.